This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at Upcase.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein and I'm here today with Rob Walling. Hey, Rob. Hey, how's it going? Good. So researching you is fun because you've put out so much stuff over the years. Like you are an author, you've written a book, you have a podcast, you have a blog, you have a conference, you have products. Like you're uh, you're you're a very internet person. That's what. I, so I've been told. Yeah. People have used the term internet famous, and I don't like that term, but it's uh, yeah. I enjoy I enjoy producing and creating things. You know. Yeah. It's so it seems like your your niche, if you had one, is sort of uh, at least originally was developers who want to create software products. Yeah, that's right. And I, I got there because that's who I was. You right. know, I was just talk, talking about what I was doing day to day. Yeah, absolutely. Which is so powerful. Yeah. Like I, I've seen this so many times. It's just, it's just the people that are willing to talk about what they've learned so far and teach the people that are a little bit further behind them that end up like just giving so much value away and, and but attracting so much attention and getting so much in return. Yeah, I agree. I, I really have always admired the people who are doing and teaching rather than just teaching. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who are just teaching these mm. days, which is a bit of a bummer. But yeah. That sounds like a trap for sure. Yeah. And also just doing has its own problems. That's true. I did, I tried that for, it was about 18 months there where I had a, it was 2000, oh gosh, eight-ish. And I just had a business that was running mostly on autopilot. And I was working a couple days a week and making good money and um, got really, really bored mm-hmm. and isolated. And so that's that's when I started publishing a lot more, and I decided to write the book and all that stuff. Yeah. So so let's let's dive into a little bit more specifics on some of these things that uh, that you do. So you have two software products now. That I think that you're actively managing. Sure. Uh, one is called Drip, which is uh, email automation. Yep. And also uh, Hittail, just sort of a long tail SEO keyword tool. Correct. That's perfect. Perfect description. Good those. elevator pitches. <laughs> it's nice. Nice. Uh, we're actually we use both of them actually. So oh, okay. Hittail and a more trial. We just started are trying that out right now. But uh, Drip, we signed up about a couple weeks ago and have our campaign live, and we're getting conversions. And it's uh, I'm a big fan. Awesome, glad to hear. Yeah, so that's sort of uh, what you're doing on the product side. You run a conference uh, that's related to sort of launching your own small software products called MicroConf. Mm-hmm. Uh, your blog is sort of on the same topic. Your podcast is on the same topic. You, I've heard you talk in the past about sort of niching down. And uh, so like the value of like choosing a, a fairly small slice of the world and possible outcomes and focusing on that. And uh, you've done that uh, in the meta sense in terms of like you launch small to medium sized software products and talk about how you did it. That's right. Yep. In the early days, I niched down even tighter and I had products that were tiny, tiny niches like electricians who work on power lines. They're called linemen. And I have a job board for that that, you know, made a few grand a month. And so I, I've niched down less, I think, as you get more experience that you can enter larger niches, but especially early on, niching down is uh, critical. Yeah. So you, you had an interesting blog post recently where uh, you're sort of unniching a little bit uh, with drip uh, and sort of have you have a, a certainly slightly broader focus on that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I launched drip last November to mm-hmm. the public started started getting people into it you know about a year ago and it started off as just email marketing software it had a nice little opt-in box and it helped people set up autoresponder campaigns we focus heavily on the ux and trying to make it super fast and simple for people to do we help people put together their five-day mini course so if they have content we will do it for them for free like literally if you have five, five blog posts or you have an ebook we'll break it up and we put the intro and the outro on each email and we just kind of compile it for you because mm-hmm. we've done it now enough that we're, we're pretty good at it. 
And the idea is to help engage your audience, basically. And it works really well with SaaS apps and software products, info products. Even we have some musicians that are using it, which I think is kind of cool, some bloggers and stuff. And then it's, it's since it, that was the original idea and it worked pretty well. It launched and it was just kind of growing really slowly. And I was having trouble. A lot of people were turning out because they were like, well, I can kind of do this with, I can hack this together with MailChimp. You know, I can hack this together with Aweber. And so we've now grown it and scope to be in the marketing automation space, which is essentially being able to automate emails based on people's behavior. So if they click something, you can tag them and you can send them other stuff later. So it's just a much, much bigger product in a much, much bigger market now. And that was an intentional decision, but it definitely ups the stakes. It makes it a a more competitive space for sure. Yeah, and, and yet you said that the response to these initial features were was really positive. Like you saw a drop in churn and revenue was going yep. up and all that. Absolutely. The growth has really started jumping up quickly. Churn has plummeted. And, you know, you, there's this phrase product market fit where you've built a product that a market really wants. And there's a bunch of ways to define it. But one of the ways you know is that people are not churning out anymore, right? When your churn plummets and you're able to just bring new customers in and they stick around, mm. that's when you've hit it. So I'm not claiming I have it now, but I can see that I am way closer to it than we were three or four months ago. And in addition, growth has started. It's just starting to be that early stage of that, of the hockey stick. Nice. So yeah, we'll, we'll see if it keeps going. I mean, I, I never predict the future because I've seen so much stuff happen. But uh, my gut feeling after doing this for 10, 12 years is that I'm, we're on the cusp of something. And that's what that blog post was about, was that I'm on the cusp of potentially some really amazing things or the cusp of putting all my eggs in this basket and having everything, you know, crash down around me, which yeah. I'm not going to let happen. That's just the kind of person I am. But I, but I always have to think about that as an option. When you're an entrepreneur, you have to. Yeah. So, the, so the next phase is sort of like adding sophistication. It seems like the basic thing is still sort of there, which is you should send good, informative emails to certain people at certain times, and yes. that like a drip campaign is like a simple version of that. You send good emails at a preset schedule for people exactly. that have sort of opted into that. But this is sort of more like. You know, if someone has done this and this, but not this, then send this email versus that one. Yep. And it also takes it, you know, before it was just marketing, right? It's only people who visited your site, prospects, you can kind of do some marketing stuff. Now we support uh, trial emails, mm. like an entire SaaS trial sequence. We yep. have both drips and hittails are all in drip because it's so dynamic. We email customers. We're, we're becoming a little bit like, I, I won't say a little CRM-y in, in that we're going to be building a little bit of lead scoring in, you know, it's stuff like that. So we're kind of doing the whole, all stages of the funnel now. Yeah. Right, all the way from someone hitting your website to becoming a paying customer and referring others. Yeah, that's interesting because this is our first drip email campaign for the service that I run, Upcase. And I know something interesting, which was as I did this and put it together, it made me realize how comparatively poor a job we're doing on our like automated emails to our existing customers. Yep. So it was like the marketing tool is now like pretty it's pretty good. Like people are really liking the course and they're they're enjoying it a lot. And what we were discovering was a people that have already signed up are their already customers are signing up for it because they want yep. the same stuff. And we like, have the same thing. Yeah. And also then I'm like, what are we sending them? Wow, we're sending them almost nothing, and it's like not nearly as useful. And these are the people that are currently paying us money. And so it really sort of has opened my eyes to like a there's we can be doing so much more as teaching in general, and b uh, we could be a lot more sophisticated about it. Yep, that's right. And there's so much more power. There's so much power in that if you can build up an idea of who someone is over time. Because if you have customers you've had for years, they've clicked on a lot of links. They've visited a lot of your web pages. You know, you you should know a lot about them. You right. don't. But but with a tool like Drip or a tool like uh, any marketing automation software, you can start tagging them. Oh, they had an interest in this page or in this thing. And if you have a profile, it's like, hmm, you can kind of create new custom courses. Like, wow, 80% of our people are now tagged with 
whatever, you know, this certain topic with Puppet, right? And so now let's create a Puppet mini course because everybody wants to know about it. So And this is part of the pitch for Drip. You can sort of continue this thing. So you, you offer them some sort of course to sort of teach them when they're a prospect and then they become a customer. But you know they were interested in that course before. Therefore, they're probably interested in more follow on stuff that's sort of similar to that. Absolutely. And so you can sort of keep saying the right things to them over their life cycle. That's right. And the nice part is once they're a customer, now you have a lot more topics because you can you can both just tell them general educational stuff like you did in the initial course, but now they're they're using your product and they're paying for it. So you can mix in, it's not a sales pitch anymore. You can say, look at this new feature, here's how to use it. Right. If you said that to a prospect, they're like, ah, oh, you're selling to me. You say it to a customer, they're like, thank you. This is awesome, right? It's it's a different mindset. So you have so many more things you can talk about. And then if you do tell them about that, it helps with retention and it gives you permission to contact them. And so you, you know, once a quarter, you can email everybody or just have it in your sequence of like, hey, do you really enjoy, you know, using Upcase? Would you refer a friend? Would you just forward this email to one person, Mm. you know? And it's not slimy. It's not salesy. It's really just a casual ask. And since you give them so much good content in the the interim, it's, it's a no brainer. So... There's there's opportunities everywhere. Yeah, getting back to that that sophistication thing is it was interesting. To, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit. So when I was uh, when I signed up for Drip, you're you're very good at sort of getting people through the funnel, in terms of getting them to having created a campaign. Uh, so I opted to write my own campaign. That's one of the interesting things about Drip is you can sort of outsource this or you'll do it for the the people. But I was like, I, I, I we got to write our own because it's 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 got to be from us. Um, so I started writing it and I started getting an email every day, basically. <laughs> hey, it's Rob from Drip. Just wanted to see. I noticed that your campaign isn't quite there, so I just wanted to be like, oh, can I help? Do you know? Do you need this? Do you need that? Uh, and that was like pretty like relentless is maybe the word for it, but like I mean, clearly this is what like gets people to the value. Like Drip is basically useless until they've actually made the campaign and like see conversion happen, right? That's right. And I'm gonna I'm embarrass you a little further, which is uh, one of these emails. There was like a bug in the uh, oh, interpolation. Yeah, <laughs> and so we had some dynamic tags. Right, we had some dynamic we had stuff in there, tags, yeah. and there was a bug where it went through un uninterpolated. And so yep. I basically saw your template, which was like, if customer has done this, then uh-huh. this. If they've done this, then this. That was then... awful. And that was there for 24 hours. It was right when we rolled that template out. And it was, yeah. you, did you reply? Cause I a couple did, yeah. Like, I replied oh, that. I was like, head, forehead which, slap. Which, so which, is, which is fine. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But to me, it was actually good. It was actually good to see. Like, it was a bug in a sense that it was useful for me. Because I'm like, this is how the people that really know what they're doing are doing this sort of email stuff. It was like, there's a lot of variability in this email. This is not just like the standard, you're four days into the trial email. It's like t- customized for what's going on. Yeah, that's right. We did get that fixed the same day, but yeah. <laughs> and I, do we send out emails every day? We may. I thought it was every other, but it, it, neither here nor there. I, yeah. It felt like every day. Yeah, we definitely have seen, I've tested, and, and I know what what gets people through the minimum path to awesome is what I call it. MPA. It's a minimum yeah. path to the awesome experience with your app is, yeah, yeah. is get created. So, yeah, no, no, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a negative thing. And, I, and I could, I'm sure that it was like, you've tested the different variants and how often and whatnot. And I was like, I, I imagine this works and it helps keep it top of mind for me too. Yeah. Because like, you know, I wrote two of the emails, but I had three more to go, but I was like, you know, the, there are these pings are like, yeah, yeah, def- I definitely got to do this. So right, right. it worked. Cool. Uh, you do an, also an interesting, uh, you, at least when you were starting to launch Drip, you did what the, what's called concierge onboarding, mm-hmm. which I thought was sort of an interesting idea. So it's like you, rather than opening the, the app up in general to the populace, you onboarded people by hand, like on, in Skype, one-on-one for a mm-hmm. while. Yep. I feel like you must have learned a ton from that. I did. Now, I call that more of a, a like a slow launch or a high, high touch onboarding. Okay. Um, concierge, so I consider the concierge is actually what we do. You know, when we build your mini course, yeah. that's like a bring your own content concierge, we call that. Okay. And then if we write your course from scratch, we have a copywriter, that's like the higher end concierge. So I think the 
concierge onboarding could summarize it. But I, yeah, I kind of think of that as like a high touch onboarding. The reason I did that was one to learn from you know, it's your first five customers, your first 10 customers. You have no idea how they're going to use the app. You have no idea the issues they're going to run into. And you don't have any functionality. You you barely do what you've said you're going to do. So right. you had, there were no delete buttons. There was no way to update your password. There was no billing engine. There were, We didn't even collect a credit card. Like none of that, right? It's it's truly a minimum viable product in that it just does what, what we say it's going to do. So I really wanted to work with people to find out what the deal breakers were. And surprisingly, none of, no delete buttons is not a deal breaker for anybody. Nobody cares. Not mm. being able update password not a big deal mm-hmm. um, and so i i did learn a lot about it i did it for about the first 15 people i think and some of them were skype but a lot of people were comfortable to do it themselves they actually prefer you know we're developers right so i mean i i still write some code so it's like you don't even want to be on skype with somebody that the customers were like i'll do it myself and email you if i have problems so yeah, totally. but it was heavy but i would log into their account i, rec- I would record screencasts of stuff they'd say how can i do this and then i'd log into their account record a screencast if i had to do it and send it to them so we could do it asynchronously and hmm. oh man we built a ton of stuff based on their feedback ton yeah. of features yep got it man it's, it's amazing what a little bit of user testing will teach you yeah. Like I've never done a user test and not been like kind of shocked at like, wow, no one sees that button. No yeah. one thinks that that menu option works that way. Yeah. Why are they right click? Why are they command clicking this? Like I never yeah. would have thought of that, but it's some weird user pattern and you got to figure out how to, how to not let them break your stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, it's shocking. And, and you, so you develop this blindness as you've been working on it for, you know, hundreds of hours. You can't Absolutely. tell what's hard to understand or what is too invisible to be useful or things like that. No. So you don't do development work on Drip, right? You're sort of managing the team that does now? I am, yeah. I love writing code, but I just don't have the time anymore. So I don't know Rails. I'll just say I don't know Rails. I can code a little bit, you know, but I don't know it. I wouldn't want to get in touch production code these days. Mm -hmm. Was that hard to give up? Yes. It's every day. Every day. I, I still look in the code when we troubleshoot stuff. And I, I love, I think, like a computer or like a code. I mean, you know how it is. When you're writing code, like you're in your own world. And there's a certain beauty to, to creating something from nothing and having it work. Like I, I don't feel the same hands-on accomplishment day-to-day like I used to. And, I've have, I'd, and I've, that's been a deliberate choice and I've had to get used to it. There are definitely good things about what I do today. Um, I wouldn't go back per se. But I do, I do. That's the biggest thing that I miss about what I used to do five years ago. Hmm. Yeah, I, I feel some of that pain myself. I, I still do write some code, but not as much as before. And there are days where it's like the best thing I can do today is not write more code. Yep. And it's it's tough. Yep, it is. We just rewrote Hittail, the keyword tool you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. That was in classic ASP and .NET. Mm-hmm. And um, we just rewrote it in Rails because I have three developers now full time. So I have plenty of folks who can manage it. So we, we migrated that whole thing from SQL Server to Postgres and uh, ASP to, to Rails. And so I'm even less useful on the technical side now, you know, in right. terms of being able to hack around it. But it's nice to be all um, standardized. Mm-hmm. So. And you said you don't try to predict the future, but like imagine that yeah. it's a couple, of, a couple years later and you've maybe, let's say, sold Drip or like just mm-hmm. you, you stop touching it on day to day and you think about launching a new product. You're now in a, a different position, right? Where like you can't be the first person to start writing the code anymore. Do you think that's a, a disadvantage? Um, I do think it's a disadvantage, but you know, with Drip, I wasn't the first person to write the code either. Okay. And at this point, I've made up for that disadvantage with the fact that I have a network of people, so I could find a good coder. You know, because mm-hmm. obviously that's not easy. And then 
I have money to self-fund it now. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't need, I'm not like I was 10 years ago where like I just have a day job and you right. know, I don't, I don't know a bunch of good developers and I can't afford any of them if I had. So mm-hmm. I have a business now that can pay for, and that's essentially what's going on right now. Although Drip's just about to, eh, just about to push past profitability even with the employees on it. Awesome. But Hittail has been funding Drip for the last, you know, year, year and a half or whatever. So mm-hmm. I, I have a little bit of, of leeway there. That, that others may not have if they're first starting out. Yeah. So then what, what do your days look like? Um, you know, the first thing always on my priority list dur- throughout the day is to help my guys keep working, you know, like try to remove mm. obstacles because stuff just comes up, they have questions. And so I try to make myself super available to them. I, I hate interruptions, but I let them interrupt me. You know, I don't take phone calls except from them. I don't yeah. take Skype calls except from them. So that's my big thing. But aside from that, that actually doesn't take that much time. Most of that, it's thinking about, it's evaluating what are we going to build next and who, how important is this? Who wants it? And then I'm doing a ton of that quasi concierge onboarding or that I'm still doing, it's not as heavy handed as it was, but I'll, I'm really talking to people about the value of drip because they'll email and say, I think I really need this. Can you tell me why? Hmm. And instead of sending them off to a random explainer video that I've created, I'm recording multiple screen, custom screencasts per day. I'll, really? I'll either note. Yeah. Yep. And it's basically, a I call it medium touch sales, right? There's low touch sales where it's like hit tail, right? You just arrive at a SaaS website, you click the try now, you enter a credit card, boom, you're mm-hmm. trying it. High touch sales is more enterprise sales, right? Where you're like, it's all, it's, you're in a CRM and you're touching base with them every three weeks. I think this is like a medium touch sale where people have heard about it either just through word of mouth or through these, you know, the marketing that I'm doing and they'll email and say, I'm just quite, I know that I need to do marketing automation, but can you tell me why? And so I'll go and visit their site. I'll be like, okay, so they're e-commerce, you know, or, or they're a consulting firm or they're word selling a WordPress plugin. I know exactly what they should do, right? It's just all poof in my head because I've been doing it now for a year constantly. So I know what they, how they should be tagging and arranging and da, 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 da. And so I'll just sit there and record like a six or seven minute screencast, walk through drip and show them what I would do if they were to use drip, if I were them and how I would tag people. And then I'll just poof, send that off. Shockingly high conversion rate to trial from there. I haven't tracked it all the way through to, to paying customer, but it's crazy how many people are like, Oh, this is exactly what I wanted. You know, it's just a simple custom thing for them yeah and, uh, and you don't re- you don't reuse those screencasts i don't because it's i i probably will eventually mm-hmm. you know because you, you can't scale i can't scale and do this but at this point i mean i've recorded maybe let's say i've recorded 30 of those in the past three weeks i'm still working out the kinks and trying to figure out how to do it quickly and how to do it well for each niche and so eventually maybe i will record one for wordpress plugins you know and one for other people, but you know, Drip is still in. I'll say it's in early stages in that it has some name recognition, but it's not known by everybody as this app. It hasn't been around for you know long enough. So I still need to hustle. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Anytime you start up, there's so much hustle that has to go into these early days. Mm-hmm. So much stuff that won't scale that you have to do early on. And this is I view this as as that. Hmm. What other kind of things? Yeah, um, I'm really doing a lot of marketing, right? So I'm either I'm not doing paid acquisition right now, meaning taking out ads, uh, but I was doing that a few months ago. I'm doing a lot of content right now. So I'm writing blog posts and talking with folks I know to see if I can do guest posts. You know, if we talk about blocking and tackling and marketing, there's really only five different approaches, right? There's content marketing, there's SEO, there's paid acquisition, there's virality. And I always forget the other one, but it's like, that's it. it you, everything is a variation on those things. So th- I'm doing one of those five things really <laughs> at any given time. You know, I'm yeah. thinking about yeah, oh, how- podcast is the fifth one, I think. Oh, that's a good, <laughs> actually, that's a good one. Yeah. I do enjoy talking about this stuff. 
Yeah. Well, that's, that's obvious. I mean, you started a conference so that other people could come yeah. and talk about this stuff too. That's right. And so I could listen to them talk about it. Yeah, I love right. talking about it and hearing, oh gosh, I consume 30, 40 hours a week of, of audio content, that's whether right. it's aud- audible or podcast. Yeah. yeah, I remember hearing you say that on, on your podcast. Yeah, time and a half. You know, I listen to it faster than normal speed, but as a true engineer does. But uh, yeah. I really enjoy hearing what others are up to and getting new ideas and inspiration and such. Hmm. You also mentioned that you're like, you're fairly brutal about trimming stuff down. Like if it's not, it's not doing it for you, you're just, you're out. I am. Yeah. But you know, that makes me try to provide a lot of value to people because I feel like everyone should have that standard. So when I start talking, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta deliver, you know? Yeah, definitely. What was it like to go from doing uh, this stuff to running a conference? Oh, that's an interesting question. You know, it was, Throwing a conference is totally unlike any of this stuff we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's night and day, right? Because you're actually meeting people in person and there's a lot weighing on that because if you throw a poor conference, everybody's there. Right, <laughs> it's, exactly. It hurts, you know? Yeah, it's in your face. It, it's palpable. So there was that pressure, especially the first year when we didn't know what we were doing. But now that we do, it's a lot of work, but we outsource a ton of it. We have a great coordinator who does it, but it's so much fun. It is literally the best you know, 48, 72 hours of my year. It's the most exhausting, but is the most fun. It's like the volume's up to 11 for three days. And when I come home, I'm typically on like, I can't do anything else Mm -hmm. because I'm just, I'm drained, but I'm also like, I can't sit here and respond to email. I've just had like the biggest experience of the year. Like you can't, it's like coming off of, you know, if if you're a band and you're touring and you go up on stage and then you come home and your mom's like, clean your room. It's like, I can't even deal with this. It's such a disparate reality. So I really enjoyed the conference part of it. I really enjoy connecting with with the other founders. It invigorates me for months on end after that. Yeah, I believe it. You, you've talked a fair amount about, at least like on your, your various podcasts and blogs and things like that, about your approach to working, which I like. Uh, one of the things in particular that stuck out to me was uh, you, you called it a dichotomous work approach, which mm-hmm. is like you when you, when you want to work, you want to work really hard and have no distractions and then completely shut off of that and, and ignore work for a while. Yeah. I do my best to do that. Mm-hmm. I think I'm better on the on the work side. I use a bunch of tools to do it. I, I like music a lot. I've played in bands. I've played the guitar for 20 years. And so music is is a language that speaks to me. So I turn music up very loud in the headphones and I tune everything out. And yeah, I've, like a lot of developers, I'm sure, I've worked entire days and forgotten to eat lunch, forgotten to, you know, I mean, when you're in a zone, you're in the zone. So I try to get to the end of the zone and not get distracted. I also drink a little bit of caffeine here and there to like keep it up. I have an easier time doing that than I do shutting it off the other way, right? <laughs> yeah. When I'm with my family, not checking my phone. So I've started doing things like not allowing, you know, I used to get the email every time someone signed up or every time someone purchases, all that's gone, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's an aggregated email at one time during the day, it's 9 p.m. Pacific. And then I do try to stash my phone away, plug it into the thing, have it playing music so that I won't pick it up and check email and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I truly believe that my if I'm thinking about work all the time, then my mind never rests and I don't get those fresh new ideas, you know? And if I'm, of course, if I'm the other way and not thinking about work, then I'm not getting anything done. So I, I really try to separate them. Have you ever tried like a formal meditation practice? Yes. And in fact, I've fallen out of it. So I used to do it when I was in high school and college and then I fell out. And then within the past six months, I've started trying to, get back into it and haven't found a routine, mm-hmm. but it's on my list of like things to do, like self-improvement things to do to, to cl- cleanse the mind. Yeah. I find it's a really hard habit to build, at least for me personally, yeah. but the quickness with which it pays off to me is kind of amazing. 
Yeah. And like, it's like, I asked a friend, like, how do we start this? And he's like, well, meditating is actually really hard in the beginning in particular. So like a five minute meditation is hard. So start mm-hmm. with two minutes, like start with something that's like no way going to make you feel intimidated and whatnot. And I can't believe that like trying to calm my thoughts for two minutes can have such a lasting and immediate effect, but it does. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the realization that it gives me of like, okay, I, I actually am, I do have thoughts running all the time. And that is actually not, that doesn't have to be at the state that your mind is in. Like you can yeah. stop, I mean, it's hard, but you can sort of slow that down or stop it or help redirect thoughts. And it can be intensely calming and focusing and good for you. That's right. Yeah. Buddhists call it the monkey brain, right? Mm. It's when your brain is constantly climbing and seeking things. And that's why we're doing, hey, I, I have three seconds where my kid's looking the other way. I'm going to pull up Twitter. I'm going to look at Facebook. I'm going to check my email. I'm going to look at new podcast. I mean, this is these are the routine you do, you know, yeah. monkey brain. And it's like, hey, how do you get out of that? Meditation is a great one. Putting your phone away is another. The other thing I've been doing is I've started doing push-ups in sets of 15 and I'll do it. Uh, it's a little bit of a meditation. It may only take me 30 seconds to do it, but I stop what I'm doing. I sit down, I do the push-ups, and I try to let it, you know, I stretch my back a little bit because I have neck problems and such from working at a desk. And I try to let that be a break, right? Where it's like all thoughts are gone because you're doing something physically demanding. So you have to think about it, right? Right. So there's a bit of meditation there, but um, yeah, the two minute, I like that advice. I have not tried to only do two minutes and maybe that's where I need to start. Mm-hmm. I think so much of it is the fact that it doesn't feel like a lot. Like it's like, yeah, I can absolutely do two minutes at any time. Like that number will never intimidate me. Yes. But if you were like, I should meditate for an hour, I'd be like, oh my God. Well, yeah, that's right. Maybe if, tomorrow. Even if you said thir- 15 minutes, I'd be like, well, I don't have 15 minutes now. I'm busy. But I do, I always have two minutes. Yeah. And that's where those little, you know, the little habits form. Yeah, totally. Have you, there's someone from, I forget his name, uh, BJ Fogg, maybe from Stanford. He has this concept he calls tiny habits. Is this ringing a bell? With the, it's like, if you're going to try to floss every day, I don't remember his name, but yeah, if you're going to try to floss every day, don't try to floss the first day. The first day, just take the floss out and place it on the counter, right? Right. And then the second day, actually pull the thing off and, you know. His thing is build the habit of flossing one tooth. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. So I think his like, the main things are like, first, like you need a trigger because it's hard to build a new habit from scratch. So he encourages you to attach a habit to an existing habit. So like you probably have already built the brush your teeth habit. And so you, you know, you, your new habit is after I brush my teeth, I will floss one tooth. One tooth. And yeah. then you celebrate your accomplishment of flossing one tooth as a, as a complete and total victory, not like a, a fake victory, but like a real victory. You floss your one tooth. And if you wish at that point, you may continue flossing. Right. And, and it's, it's, it's the same thing as the, the two minute meditation, which is like, you know, you get two minutes in, you're like, actually, that was really great. I'm going to do like three minutes now, a little, a little bit more. Absolutely. And, I think that's a it's a, a really good approach at sort of hacking the brain. Yep. Yep. I do it with the push ups too. I rarely do just fifteen. That's my set, but I'll be like, I'm gonna do twenty five. You know, exactly. you just you kinda keep going with it. Yeah. It's like your brain makes that calculation that instant of like, well, like, oh okay, I can floss one tooth. Like I and I'm just yeah. gonna stop after that. And then you find like, you know what, actually, no, nah, that's yeah. pretty good. Same thing if you've ever, you know, writing a blog post is so painful, right? Mm. But if you sit down and you write, you say, I'm just going to write two sentences, right? I mm. Surely I can write two. By that time, you're all fired up. Not always, but, some, you know, often you're fired up and you're like, well, I'm going to keep going with this. And you just, you kind of run through it. So, Yep. There's a million opportunities for that in so many different types of work. Like I'll leave like a little tiny, like I'll, I'll put a syntax error in the line of, in the thing I'm working on so that the next morning, like there's obviously, there's one thing that's obviously wrong and I'll just fix that and then I'm kind of on my way. That's a really good trick. I've heard people, I've never done that, but I've heard people do it. I yeah. like it. I think there's a lot of places you can sneak that in there yeah. pretty effectively. So I heard you say that you got bored when you were working less. 
like you were working but not teaching. You were working like 20 hours a week and you said, you know, yeah. I found it really boring. I found it isolating. It wasn't good. So it seems like workload is not your goal. Like if, if you had your way and like everything blew up and, you know, it wasn't about money. It's not so much for you about I want tons of free time. I want a four-hour work week type thing. It might be something else. What is that something else? It's flexibility. So it's not about working consistently. I was working 12 to 16 hours a week for about a year, about 10 months when my second son was born. And having that flexibility was amazing, right? Mm. It was perfect. But after that 10 months, I was really bored. So it's not something I would want to do forever. Um, We're going to Thailand for a month in October, and then MicroConf is in Prague at the end of that. So I'm going to take, you know, there's going to be five weeks there where I have the flexibility mm-hmm. to work. I'll work probably 30 minutes a day during that time. Just check email, make sure there's no fires and get stuff done. That flexibility is worth way more than just saying, eh, I'm only going to work four hours for the rest of my life because I enjoy creating. I mean, we're builders. This is who we are, right? So yeah. that's what I didn't launch Drip because I needed to do it, right? I already have a, I had a business that was supporting me plus some. I launched it because I have to create things. Mm. And so for the rest of my life, I know I'm going to be writing songs, writing books, writing blog posts, recording podcasts, building companies, investing in companies. I'm going to do all those things because that's who I am. Mm-hmm. So I just have to keep it in a space that gives me the flexibility to sometimes work as much as I want and other times work as little as I want. Yeah. So that's really my goal. Gotcha. It's it's so nice. Like you have this and I, I feel like I have this too, which is the thing that you want to do and that you're passionate about doing is will support you. It's like the, the world will, will reward you in a reasonable way for it. We are very lucky. Super very lucky. Very lucky. Yeah. Even just being able to write code for a living, I feel like is almost like, I feel like I've I know. someone sometimes. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm actually having fun. Yeah, exactly. This, right? like, you're still paying me. I'm like, I actually secretly really enjoy this. You know, I did this for free for like five years, right? Yeah. When I was a kid, nobody paid me. And yet now, you know, you, it's a very lucrative career. So I have so many struggling musician and artist friends who exactly. love what they do and can't make a living at it that I realize that we are, we're, we're lucky for sure. Yeah, I have the same situation. I have like professional musicians and like they're vastly more talented and work harder. Yeah, and have <laughs> indeed. Such a harder time than I do. It's yeah. like you can be like a middling programmer with not a lot of totally. passion and make a totally decent living for yourself. Yeah. But I know incredibly talented musicians that work incredibly hard and can't make a living for themselves. Yeah. So lucked out on that one. Glad I, I'm glad I like music, but I'm glad I like programming a little more. Yeah, me too. And I, I used to like music more. And then there's something clicks in your mind at a certain point. And I was like, I think this is a better road for me. Yeah. You know, it's just like you become a pragmatist, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is there anything that we haven't covered you want to talk about? What don't you talk about very often? This is the first I've heard you mention writing music. Yeah, I love, it's part of that creator, you know, that creator thing. Um, I do enjoy playing the guitar and music has had a major impact on my life. I always have a soundtrack playing, you know, if I'm cooking dinner, or if I'm hanging out with friends there, if there's not music, to me, it's, it's this deafening silence. You know, even though people are talking, hmm. there has to be a soundtrack to it. So that's a big part of who I am. And I love, and then anything I see, anything I get involved in, it's like, if I'm going to start listening to music, I now need to create it. That's just who we are, right? So when I started getting into tech of like, oh, there are these startups, this is the late 90s. Now I need to know how to build one, you know? So I'm going to go do that. And if I start reading whatever, Pulp Fiction, I'll start wanting to write Pulp Fiction. So it's, it's, I think certain people are afflicted. It's both a curse and a blessing, you know? Yeah. I understand that like addiction or the creation addiction. Yes. Some degree. That's exactly what it is. Every time I push something to production, it just like gives me this like satisfaction that is kind of unparalleled. I know. Yeah. I, I used to blog all the time, a couple times a week and then just got busy with other stuff, the podcast 
is easier to do and, and it engages people more. So um, I've done much more of that over the past couple of years. And then, so probably 18 months since I've really sat down and written an intense post. And I wrote two within three days of each other a couple of weeks ago. And it was like I was on, I had a, you know, on Coke or something. Yeah. Like I've never done Coke, I, but it was like that. It was, I mean, the hairs were standing up. I was like typing, like a, it was just pouring out of me. Like I could tell it was just this pent up, writing is just such a, an amazing way to convey yourself. So, it, and when I published those, it was the same way, right? The hair stood up. People were talking about it on Twitter. I was like, I forgot how much fun this is. Yeah, you know, it's I like these little dopamine hits, like every time someone oh, links man. to it or retweets it or anything. Absolutely. It's a drug really addiction. Cool. Cool. Indeed. Awesome. Well, I want to be respectful of your time and uh, I think I'll let you go, but I really appreciate you uh, dropping by and talking. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you or do you have anything you want to plug? Well, I mean, you know, I think if folks are interested uh, in stepping up their email marketing game, I'd love it if they check out Drip. It's at getdrip.com. And then best way to hear about what I'm up to, if, if what I've said is interesting, I talk about this for 30 minutes every week on my podcast at Startups for the Rest of Us. And uh, I'm a subscriber and I enjoy it. So recommended. Good. And then catch up with me on Twitter. I'm, I'm Rob Walling on Twitter. Sounds good. Today's show was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash giantrobots slash 113. Thanks for listening.